Hey, welcome, um, welcome everybody. I'm glad I see several new faces, visitors, and welcome. I want to just throw a special welcome to you guys. And some, some are not necessarily first-timers, but they haven't been here in a while because summer and the mountains and vacations and all kinds of things going on. So welcome back. And I think you're going to like this series that we're in. We're in the series uh, of Acts. We're going through the entire book of Acts. Now we have 12 weeks to go through the book of Acts. So we're not going to be digging, uh, doing expository preaching on every single scripture in the book of Acts. What I want you to get is the, the feeling, the flow. The book of Acts has several common themes to it, and tonight is no different. Tonight, we're going to, well, starting last week, okay, so what happened last week? The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples for the express reason of refamiliarizing them with the voice of God. They had not been intimately aware of the voice of God on a, on a one-on-one basis since all the way back in the Garden of Eden and the fall of man. That separated them from God, and they were no longer able to just recognize God's voice like Adam and Eve did. You know, Adam and Eve walking in the garden, they heard God's voice. They heard his breathing, his footsteps, whatever it is they heard, and they immediately knew that it was Father God. But with the fall of man, then they were separated. And so it's quite some time before the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. And from that point forward, they are able to once again hear and discern the actual voice of God. They're able to pray to him and receive answers. They're able to ask for help and power and receive help and power. These are things that had to be done through intermediaries, through prophets, through, through high priests and the temple and all kinds of, there was all kinds of strings attached to making that work. But now they were able to do it. And we talked about the reason for that was to get the church started, was to send them out and make disciples of all nations, just as Jesus taught, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, go make disciples of all nations, Now that you have this knowledge, do that, and the Holy Spirit is what empowers them to do that. So here we are tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about the witness of Jesus Christ growing throughout Jerusalem, okay? The beginning of the Jerusalem church and how quickly it grows and how quickly the boldness of Peter and John and the the original uh, apostles causes all this growth to happen. So we're going to be talking about uh, chapters 3, 4, and 5. Three, four, and five of Acts. Sounds like a lot, right? That sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. So there's going to be a lot of scripture up there. I don't want you to necessarily try and write down every scripture. Here's what I want you to do. Open your Bibles tonight, okay, when you get home, and read chapters three, four, and five. It'll probably take you 20 minutes, but it's an amazing testimony to what the boldness of a group of men, the boldness through the Holy Spirit can accomplish in, in the kingdom of God. And so, again, chapters 3, 4, and 5, that's what we're going to be in. And so I just want you to look at that for yourself, okay? So let's, let's jump right in. Let's jump right in and set the scene for what's going on. Our first scripture, Acts 3, 1. Acts 3, 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Okay, Peter and John, you see this a lot, especially early on uh, in the book of Acts. Peter and John hang out together a lot. They do a lot of things. They were fishermen in the Sea of Galilee when Jesus found them, and they were partners, okay? So they were, 
they were best buddies for the most part, right? They're, they had hung out together. They were used to being together, to working together. And here they are going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Quick note about the ninth hour. They were free for devout Jews. There were three times designated every day for prayer. Okay, there was 9 a.m. There was noon. This is on our clock. 9 a.m., noon, and 3. Okay, so this, the ninth hour is actually 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon. Now, on that note, they were going to the temple at the designated prayer hour for devout Jews. But wait, these are followers of Christ now, right? Were they, were they no longer, where's that point where they're no longer Jews, but now they're Christians? Well, it hadn't happened yet. They still, in their mind, considered themselves to be Jewish, they considered themselves to be followers of Jesus Christ in the way, but their heart, when they went to the temple and Peter and John and all their boldness and all the stuff that's going to happen soon, you'll hear about it. They weren't anarchists. They didn't go to the temple to like, hey, let's just, let's just upset the apple cart and, and just change everything, tell everybody how wrong they are, and let's start this new thing. They weren't trying to create anarchy. Their heart was truly, look, you're Jews, you're part of the covenant of God. You're God's chosen people. And so are we. You're awaiting a Messiah. We know that he's been here and he's here. So their, their heart and their fervor is to say, the Messiah is not, we're not still waiting for him. He's here. He's been here. Unfortunately, you captured him, crucified him, but he's resurrected. And he's back. And so this is the heart that they have. It's not, hey, let's just tell everybody how wrong they are. Let's say, he's here. Hear me now. The power of Jesus, the Messiah that we've all been waiting for is here. So they consider themselves part of this, of this Jewish covenant, not a separate thing. Next scripture up here. Now they're walking, picture they're walking, oops, they're walking into the temple. The temple was actually divided into several parts. There was a Gentile section, a Jewish section, um, and the Temple Mount is still there today. It's got a mosque on it, but you can see that when you go to Israel as well. Acts 3, 2, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, okay, get this, from birth, man was lame from birth. Didn't happen last Tuesday where he came up lame lame from birth, was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. This was a daily occurrence. We he probably didn't start at birth. He was lame from birth. But he was at the temple every day. His friends would carry him there, set him down at the gates of the temple. Why? Why was that a good place? That was like the primo place if you were a beggar to go there because everybody walking in wanted to appear really pious and really religious and look how holy I am. I'm giving money to the beggar. See? See? We've already taught about how the heart of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, was, was to do things so that other people would see them do them. So this was a great place to plant. And he wasn't the only one. There are all kinds of beggars that hung out there. It's just what they did. The gate called beautiful. Anybody ever read that? The temple, the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Anybody ever read that and just wonder like, 
must have been some cool ornate gate or something, but no, you didn't really think about it very much. Well, I looked into that a little bit, and there's just a little history there. This isn't necessarily uh, theological, but it's just a little bit of history. The beautiful gate was actually made of a metal called Corinthian brass. It was actually made of Corinthian brass. Corinthian brass was extremely valuable because where it came from was 180 years or so before this time, the Romans attacked and sacked the city of Corinth, took all of their religious idols, all of their silver, all of their gold, anything they had that was metallic and was a religious idol and burnt it all, melted it all to make a show of it we melted it all into this big pot. And that pot, that amalgamation of all these different metals, was called Corinthian brass. And this gate's actually made of that Corinthian brass. It's not around anymore. Somebody pilfered it at some time and it disappeared. But that's what they're talking about right here. He's begging alms for those who entered the temple. Begging alms is something that was very, very common. Happened all the time. Alms, though is a gift of charity. Let's go to the next scripture here, Acts 3.3. 3. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Alms, again, is not just like, hey, you're poor, I'll just give you some money. Alms, really, when you look at what that word means, it means a gift of charity from a place of mercy. Gift of charity from a place of mercy. In other words, and here's what I want you to hear, it's not even so much about the receiver of the mercy. Where's your heart when you're given it? So when you see the guy sitting on the street corner or somebody that, that has a sign and they're asking for money or we have the rescue bags that we give out, are you like, oh, whew, good thing I have 50 cents. I can give 50 cents to this guy so he'll go away from my car. Is that the heart behind alms? Is there mercy in your heart? Mercy in your heart when you give alms, and not every occasion. How many times had they walked by this guy? They never gave him any alms. At least it's not recorded that they ever gave him anything. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit when we do that, but when we do, our response should be out of a place of charity, but mostly of mercy. Mostly of mercy. What do I have that I can give you that will change your life? that will help you in a merciful way. Not, I'm going to give you a dollar so you get away from my car. If that's your heart, I think Jesus himself would say, keep your dollar. I want your heart to be in the right place. That's where they are here. So Peter and John about to go into the temple. Peter and John, again, consider themselves Jews. We're going at the third prayer time of the day. Every time Peter and John would have been in Jerusalem and they traveled around the Galilee, but every time they were in or near Jerusalem, they went to temple three times a day. This man, this beggar had been outside the temple for who knows how long, but obviously for a long, long time. They saw this man off and on three times a day, every day for years. It's never documented that they gave him anything. It's never documented that they looked twice at him or gave him anything. Maybe they did, but the word doesn't say anything about that happening. Acts 3, 4. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him. Peter, walking with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. Why did he say, look at us? 
you think it was like, look at us. Do we look like we have anything to give you? It could have been that, but what I think it was is I think he wanted, based on what comes next, I think Peter is saying, okay, I want you to fix your eyes on this because something's about to happen for you, and I want you to know where it came from. And you'll see that play out, and that's why I think that. Acts 3, 5. And he began to give them his attention. So this beggar down there, the guy says, look at us. Okay, he's focusing now his attention on Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them. This is important. He is expecting to receive something from them. I've outpaced my notes here. I've got to find out where I am. Okay. Now, we don't know for sure, but we do know that Jesus was making, he was making waves in Jerusalem at this point and all around, right? He, he had gone into the temple and flipped over their tables. He had been preaching around that region. He was making quite a spectacle in that region. Very good possibility. Scripture doesn't expressly say this. But there's a very good possibility this man knew who Jesus was and then knew who Jesus' disciples were because they had been traveling around with Jesus and they had been doing the same thing. So when I read this scripture at first, when you just cursory kind of just read over it, you think, okay, he's expecting to receive something from them, meaning money is what we would typically think, right? I think the heart of what he was expecting was much, much deeper. I think he looked at them and he said, you have been with Jesus. Now, this is just me, but I'm basing this on what I'm reading here, which then brings us to our main scripture, the one we're going to start with here, Acts 3, 6. This is all out of the New American Standard Bible, again, which is just the one that I like to teach from. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. The gifting and the power of the Holy Spirit that had come upon Peter and John, coupled with their boldness and the Holy Spirit prompted, they'd walk by this guy three times a day, every day. How many times he'd walk by? Never given him a second thought, as far as we know. This day, why was this day different? Why was this day different? Anybody have an idea? Why, why today did they stop and have an interaction with this guy. Prompting of the Holy Spirit probably, right? I knew that's what you were going to say. The Spirit told me. <laughs> the prompting of the Holy Spirit is why today was different. The prompting of the Holy Spirit and the obedience of Peter and John. Intersecting with the faith of the beggar who said, these men have been with Jesus. And they have something for me. So his need and his faith and his expectancy coincide with Peter and John's boldness and faithfulness to do what the Holy Spirit prompted them to do. And the man jumped up and walked. Not only did he jump up and walk, but he danced around. Scripture says he was dancing around, hopping around, making a real vision of himself. It's their faith, it's his faith, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. I was having a great talk with, with Weston right before, Weston's the head of our prayer ministry right before, 
And we were talking about healing. Healing is a big theme in this chapter, in these chapters, obviously, because it's kind of central to the power of God and the way that it's manifesting as the apostles go around. And we were talking about how difficult it is sometimes when we pray for healing for people and they're not healed. What do you do when you say, in the name of Jesus, be healed, get up and walk? Or heal your arm or whatever it is that's happening, your headache, your, your vision, whatever it is, and it doesn't happen. What are we supposed to think? Is my faith not enough? Did you not pray right? What happened? Does God not love me? But I think in everything that we're called to do, we ought to do it by the calling of the Holy Spirit. Not just our, hey, it's a good idea to go around and pray for healing for everybody. Now we are to do that, but we are to do that based on the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So when we hear that prompting and leading, no matter who it is, it could be somebody in here, somebody on the street, when we feel that prompting, that leading, and we step out in boldness to do what the Holy Spirit has asked us to do. And when that coincides with the faithful expectancy of the receiver, you ever seen those Venn diagrams where all those circles overlap? The last part of that is the will of God. Because you can want it, they can want to give it to you, and if God says, not now, it may not happen. We see all the time, the Apostle Paul prayed for healing, it never happened. Okay, there are probably many other occasions where it didn't happen in those times. We see mostly in the Bible every time it did happen, right? Which leads us to believe every time you pray for healing, you're going to get it. There's God's timing, there's faithful expectancy, and there's obedience to the leading to do the prayer. When those things coincide, the miraculous happens, like this man jumping up and walking. Scripture says, a man rose up, began leaping around the temple and praising God, actually followed them into the temple, got up, followed them into the temple, and just again started making a scene. Scripture says that people saw this and were amazed because they recognized the guy too. That's the guy that's been out there all this time. And here he is dancing around. It's amazing. So we're going to jump forward just a little bit. Acts 3.12. <clears throat> Excuse me. A crowd starts to gather and the crowd starts to point to Peter, saying, look what this man did. Look what he did. He caused this man to get up and walk. And Peter says, that's not, that's not what just happened here. So he turns to him and he says this. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety, we had made him walk? So he looks at that and he says, why are you amazed? It's not us. They should have been intimately aware of the power of the Holy Spirit, but they've never seen it manifest in an individual like this. So they didn't know what they were looking at. So he goes on, he goes on to chastise them. He says, hey, this is all through the power of Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the way, the one you put to death and denied, that's whose power is doing this. And he starts 
preaching in the temple. In fact, this section is called Peter Preaches in the Temple, or his first sermon. But he is laying it on him. He's saying the power of Jesus Christ has the power to do all these things, but you denied him. And you turned him over, and you would rather have a criminal given back to you than to let Jesus go. People are starting to gather around. People are listening to him preach, and it's really creating a scene. And at this moment, one of the temple guards, actually the the chief guard, um, the captain they call him, Acts 4.1, 4.1 and 2. As they were speaking to the people, now speaking, he's preaching. He's preaching a sermon, and he's bringing it. He is saying, you guys, you guys are missing the boat. You have the opportunity still to accept Jesus, and you're missing it. Now remember, he's, they're not trying to create anarchy and confusion. They, they want their friends and their family and their culture and their Jewish people. They want them all to come with them to the realization of who Jesus is. So he's preaching from the heart, and he's got a burden to make sure everybody understands and knows But as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. Temple guard was appointed by the Romans at the time just to keep the peace. Just to keep the peace in the temple because there are all different types of people who would come to the temple to pray. And so they appointed this this captain of the guards um, and and the temple guards to just simply to keep the peace came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That last line, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, that's significant because the Sadducees and the Pharisees disagreed on some of their core beliefs. Okay, the Pharisees were very much like, if it says it in the word, that's what we do. And the more we can follow the letter of what the word says, the better we're all going to be. The Sadducees said, yeah, okay, that's good, but... There are some things in there that we don't agree with. Resurrection from the dead is one thing that they strictly said, that does not, we don't agree with that. That can't happen, we don't teach that. And so when when Peter's running around and he's proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, they're like, this can't happen. So they go to the temple guards and they have them arrested again. They must have thought, the priests, the Sadducees, they must have thought they ended this problem with Jesus. They must have thought that after he was crucified and buried, this problem would go away. This problem didn't go away. This problem was actually growing and growing exponentially. And so it's this frustration that they're at, this place of frustration that leads them to go ahead and and arrest and throw them in jail. Now, we know that it was John and Peter. Maybe there were some other companions that were with them. The word just kind of documents John and Peter. But as they're taking them away to jail, we have our next scripture, Acts 4.4. But many of those who had heard the message believed. In other words, the damage was already done. He's preaching, and he's preaching from the heart, and people are saying, yeah, I believe that he is the Messiah. Who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. The number of people in the Jerusalem church, 5,000. 5,000 believers in Jesus Christ. This is Peter's church. Peter founded the church in Jerusalem. 
5,000, he's the first, he's officially the very first mega church pastor. If this was today, he'd have an airplane and he'd have a TV show. He had quite a following. Quite a few people were believing in the, in the, the supernaturally bold and powerful preaching that, Jesus, that Peter was bringing. So they lead him in, they arrest him, John and Peter, they arrest him, they bring him in and they ask him this question. By what power and in what name have you done this? Raised the, raised the lame man. Acts 4.12 is their answer. They tell him there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He's preaching, now these are the Sadducees who just had him arrested and they could have him stoned, not legally, but they could have him stoned. They could do all kinds of things to make his life difficult. And they're asking him, and basically he has the opportunity to just say, I'll, I'll be chill. I'll, I'll, I'll be good. I'll walk away. And they probably would have let him go. But he gets right in their face and he says, no, there is salvation in no other name. So he is bold and bold. Did I say he's bold? <laughs> he is so bold that scripture actually records this, Acts 4, 13, 14. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, some of them knew Peter and John. They were just fishermen. They hadn't gone to seminary. They hadn't done any. They had been with Jesus. But they were just regular, uneducated, untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, so the guy, they knew him too. They'd seen him. So Peter and John, picture this. Peter and John standing there, boldly telling them, hello. <laughs> and standing right next to them is this lame man that is now walking because Peter healed him. It says, they had nothing to say in reply. Can you imagine this court? It's not a court, it's not the Sanhedrin, but it's a, it's a group who is, who is judging, and they can lay out their own kind of justice. And they bring him in to shut him up, and in the end, they had nothing to say. That's what the supernatural boldness and your faithfulness in doing what the Holy Spirit says, that's what it does. When we go up to people on our own and we just say, hey, I'm going to be a bull in a china shop and go to everybody I meet and just bull tell them they're doing something wrong or share Jesus with them, we're supposed to share Jesus. But again, led by the Holy Spirit. Because when you go up to people without a leading by the Holy Spirit and the first thing they do is hit you with something like, I don't have an answer for that. What you get is the Holy Spirit saying, I didn't lead you to that conversation. So you're kind of on your own. And then the person who's refuting what you're telling them, they go away thinking that they won. Okay? They didn't win anything. They actually lost a lot. But we have to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit when we go to pray healing, when we go to share Jesus, when we meet people it's the Holy Spirit who will make those, those introductions that'll make those opportunities for us to be bold and listen to his voice. 
It's not enough to just say, hey, I'm going to pray healing for everybody who's sick and I'm going to share Jesus with everybody I see. We need to do it with the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit because that's when the miraculous happens. In some ways, the Sadducees having nothing to say in itself is miraculous. So they release them with a strict warning. Okay, we're going to let you go. We don't have anything to hold you on. You haven't really broken any laws, but we're going to let you go. But don't talk about Jesus anymore. Next scripture right here, 419.20. But Peter and John, so they're getting ready to walk out. They said, we're going to let you go, but just don't do it anymore. They could have said, okay, walked outside and done whatever they wanted. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're getting ready to walk out of there. They're getting ready to walk out of what could have been a stoning or any number of things. And he says, I I can't. I can't. But they let him go. Again, supernatural boldness in the face of what could have been persecution or death or any number of things. And they said, I can't. I can't just take what you say and walk away. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And you tell me what's right. Should I do what you say or what God says? So the next, they leave, they go back and they gather with the other disciples. And here's our next scripture here. I know there's a lot again, but I'm trying to paint you a picture of what's going on here. They gather with the other disciples and they are encouraged. They're encouraged like, hey, we went in front of the Sadducees and and we just, we were just bold and we were telling them, hey, we can't listen to you. We're going to listen to God and Jesus is resurrecting from the dead and all these things. And they couldn't do anything. So they're so encouraged and they're so pumped up at this time. And they get together and they say, this is what they're saying to each other. Actually, Peter's teaching or preaching this to the others. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. He's praying this and he's saying, Lord, hear the threats of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, everybody that's out there. Take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants, that's the disciples, may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs of wonder and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they've seen this happen. They've already, they've felt the Holy Spirit. Remember, they were in that upper room and they saw the flames come upon them. They know something seriously happened. But even then, they're praying and they're saying, Lord, you know the things that are coming at us. Continue to grant us this boldness and this confidence. Let us have confidence as we proclaim the name of your son. Next one, um, let's see. Acts 4.32. There's so much I even lose place. And the congregation of those who believed, again, remember, 5,000 in the church at this time. That's the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property. That's interesting. So it goes from this boldness and thanking God that that he's giving them this boldness, and then the very next thing we see is they're saying, hey, we're all going to sell what we have. 
We're going to sell our land. We're going to sell our houses. Scripture says that they actually sold all these things and brought them and gave them to the apostles to distribute as they determined. That's interesting. 5,000 new believers, and they all decided we're going to sell what we have, and we're going to bring it, and we're going to lay it at the feet of the apostles. Scripture says lay it at the feet of the apostles to distribute as they see fit. Side note, many people think that all the way back in Malachi where it says you bring your tithe into the storehouse and it should be 10%. Is that a little outdated? These guys gave everything, holding nothing back. And they brought it in specifically and gave it to the apostles so that they, through the church of Jerusalem, could distribute it to those who had need. Just an interesting side note. It was a great time of grace and love, supernatural healing, powerful, bold preaching. This is what caused that early church to flourish and in such a short time reach those kind of numbers. And remember, we're all still just focused in Jerusalem here. The ministry to the rest of the world has yet to happen. Next scripture here. This is an interesting story. Ananias and Sapphira. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Okay? They're believers. They're part of that church. They're seeing that everyone else is selling their property and doing this thing. And they decide, okay, we're going to do it too. Were they prompted by the Holy Spirit to do it? Probably. We hope so. We hope so. Doesn't specifically say. But here's what happened. Verse 2. They kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. That's important. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So they sold their stuff. They bring in a portion, but they hold some back. Why is this important? What's that? They're representing that, they brought, that they're bringing it all. More importantly, probably, or along the same lines, they should have been listening to a call and a prompt of the Holy Spirit to do this. Not just everybody's doing it, so that's what we're going to do. And I believe that it was just that. I believe it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit that said, I want you to be one of these. I want you to sell what you have and bring it in. Bring it in to the apostles and lay it at their feet just like everybody else is doing. And here's why I think that. Because our next scripture, here's what we see. Actually, too far. Go back to the other one. Go back to the other one. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. I Again, I outpaced my notes. <laughs> so they should have been prompted by the Spirit. Yeah, and I, don't, and I don't have the scripture that says that. But here's what happens to him. Peter looks him in the eye and he says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? It's not me. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. Peter knew that he was holding some of it back. And the next thing we see of this man documented in Scripture, man falls dead at Peter's feet. That seems harsh. Now, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of debate, even, even on the study that I've done, different theologians have debated this. Did 
did God himself strike Ananias dead? I don't think so. There are other places in the Bible where that happens, and it's very clear to say, and God struck him dead. But we're part of the new covenant now. We're part of the new covenant of Jesus Christ where those kinds of things are forgiven in grace. Ananias should have been forgiven. Like you messed up. I know you were supposed to bring it and you messed up, but you didn't. But we have grace. So Peter calls him out on it though. He says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And that's when the man drops dead. Did God smite him dead? I don't believe so. I think it was the man's own guilt and shame and the realization that he had literally made a covenant with the Holy Spirit and he didn't follow through. Scripture talks about Jesus, in fact, teaches uh, when he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, says you can't serve both God and mammon. And at this point, Ananias is trying to do that. I'm going to serve God by giving all this, but I'm going to hold back just enough for myself. That's the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon can be a killer, but I think it is his own, his own guilt and his own shame that actually stopped his heart. Scripture doesn't say that. You can pray about that and see what the Lord reveals to you. Very next thing that happens, though, is his wife, Sapphira, comes in. It says about three hours later, Sapphira comes in. And Peter looks at her, and he gives her the chance. He says, did you sell your property for so-and-so amount? She says, yes. And him, knowing what the actual amount was, turns to her and he says, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And then he goes one step, this is cold-blooded. He looks and he says, see those feet over by the door? Those feet belong to the men who are going to carry you out with your husband. And she falls dead. Some people read that and think that it was Peter and, and some kind of power that he had that killed her. That's not it. I believe, again, it was, it was guilt and shame. But it's an important story. It's important to see that these people had, had listened to the Holy Spirit, had received the prompting, had said, yes, we hear that the Holy Spirit wants us to do this. They started following through, and they almost got it right. But they held back a little for themselves. How many times do we hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, Go heal that person. Go pray for that person. Go do whatever it is that we're called to do. And we say, well, I can't walk over and heal them, but I'll just pray from here. We heard the prompting and we responded to the prompting, but not in the way that God asked us to. I think it's important to note that it's not enough to just go nine-tenths of the way. God wants your whole heart. And when he prompts you to do something, he wants you in boldness to step out and do what he's prompting you to do. That's where the miraculous happens, church. Next one, I got to step up my pace here. Um, after that happened, Acts 5, 14, 15. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets Next. Out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. They're still kind of getting it wrong. They're thinking that it's just Peter's shadow and his, and his presence that causing it, that's causing this, but it's actually the power of Jesus Christ. And it says 
that the sick and the afflicted by spirits were, were healed by Peter. So not just physically sick, spiritually sick, demonized people were healed by Peter. And this was causing the church to grow. It was growing by multi, already 5,000 and is still growing by multitudes. They see this happening and they see the boldness of Peter and what happens? They get arrested again. Acts 5, 17 and 18. But the high priests rose up along with all of his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They're seeing this church blow up. They laid hands on the apostles, not for healing purposes. They grabbed them and put them back in public jail. I think that's it, right? Yep. Put them back in jail. But what happens? Anybody know what happens next? Verse 19. Those of you who are reading your Bible. What happens, John? An angel of the Lord opened the doors to the jail and brought them out. That's amazing. That is so cool. What is their response? Is their response like, Okay, let's, let's lay low. This is the second time we've been arrested. Let's just lay low. What happens? The very next thing that happens, we find them in the temple courts again, preaching the name of Jesus and healing people and being bold and being in people's faces. They didn't waste any time. They immediately go back. What happens again? They're arrested again. They're arrested again. Scripture doesn't say exactly when, but it insinuates it's basically later that very same day. Like, hey, we told you, and then somehow or another you escaped. But here you are again. What happens? Here's what happens now. They're standing in front of the Sadducees, and there's a, there's a, it's not exactly the leader, but he's very well respected. His name is Gamaliel. Gamaliel looks at, at the other Sadducees, And they're trying to decide what they're going to do with these guys because they don't really have the power of the Sanhedrin. Remember, the Sanhedrin is like the Jewish Supreme Court. They don't really have that kind of power and authority. They have to wait for them to break some kind of a law. And they really haven't done that yet, but they've been a royal pain in their rear. So they're trying to decide what to do. Gamaliel addresses the crowd of his peers and he says, look, we've seen this happen. I'm paraphrasing, right, for time. We've seen this happen before, multiple times, where different prophets have started to gather a following, have started to to get big, become well-known, become popular, become famous in the region, and really started to be a pain in our side. But what happened? They just disappeared. We hardly even remember their names now. And so he turns to them in what I think is divine wisdom, and he he says, look, if this group of people, if, the, if this is just like that, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to, we'll just let them go. And if it's not something that's from God, they'll just disappear like all the others. But if this is something that's from God, what side do we want to be on? If these people are with God and they are walking with the Messiah, which side do we want to be on? And so they let him go again. They let him go again. And the apostles, what do they do? They don't go back to the temple and preach. They don't do that immediately. They do it, but they actually rejoice. Acts 5, 41, 42. Here's what happens. 
So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They were rejoicing that they were worthy of being persecuted in this way. And in addition to that, rejoicing that prophecy foretold this was going to happen. And so they were taking comfort in that and they knew that God was with them because they had the Holy Spirit and they were listening to his voice, following his prompting and watching the amazing things that were happening. Third arrest and they basically just say, hey, there may be something here. Let's let them go. They're rejoicing over this. So I'm going to call the worship team to go ahead and, and come up as I wrap this up here. Now, remember at the beginning, I said, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on, but it does tie together under a common theme. What's the common theme? What's the common theme of all the stuff that I've taught you here tonight? The Holy Spirit and boldness. I don't know who said it over here. Boldness. Boldness in the Holy Spirit, to be exact. This is what they're operating in. Why do we need it? Why do we need supernatural boldness in the Holy Spirit? Can't God just do everything? Why do we need it? It's a good question. Let me ask you, what's the number one mission of the church? The big capital C church, all the church, the body of Christ, all together all over the world. Discipleship, okay. Bring people to Christ. Any other answers? Community, fellowship, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So to learn, to be equipped, and to grow in our maturity, right? Okay. What else? Social justice. Some some churches, that's their banner that they march under. Um, what about being the moral standard bearer for the world? holding on to the the moral standards so we can keep everybody going the right way. Okay? Those may be, and those are all worthy things for a church to, to aspire to. They are worthy of our time. They're worthy of our attention, our Bible studies, the different fellowship events, the things that we do, absolutely worthy of a church. But the number one thing, the number one thing, in fact, this isn't my own thought. John MacArthur, who's one of my favorite theologians, says this, just a quote. He says, these things, meaning the, the things that we all just talked about, are better accomplished in heaven. They're better accomplished in heaven. What's the one thing, our one job as a church that can't be done in heaven, has to be done here on earth? It's the great commission of Jesus Christ, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Evangelism and spreading the name of Jesus Christ and Him resurrected. That is our number one mission as a church. That's the one thing that we can't do then and there. We'll have plenty of time for fellowship. And there's no Bible study. Sorry for those of you leading Bible studies, but there's no Bible study that's better than spending time with the Lord. 
personally, walking side by side with him in heaven, right? We can do all the learning and all the preparation, but it's all just to get there. We need to equip one another so that we can go out and we can be evangelists and we can represent Jesus Christ in the world. That's what we're here for, church. That's our call. That's why the Holy Spirit was given to us on the day of Pentecost, to have supernatural boldness, to hear his voice and go forth and do his commands. It's not enough to just say, go forth and make disciples and then we decide what that looks like. We have to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so as I close here in prayer, I wanna just, I wanna just call for an infilling of boldness. I feel that there are so many of us who know what we should do, but I hear it all the time, that's just not me. I'm kinda shy, I don't have the words, I'm just not really well equipped for that. But you are equipped for that. So we're gonna pray for supernatural boldness and for those introductions, for God to put us in places where we can be bold and exercise that gift, amen? So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord God, that you sent your spirit upon all of us, the unworthy and oftentimes the unwilling, but you didn't care about that, Lord. You sent your spirit on us so that we could be your representatives in the world. We could be the very reflection of who you are to everyone in the world and make the name of your son known. Father, we thank you. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us that supernatural boldness that the apostles had to spread your word despite what we think the consequences might be. But when you lead us somewhere, God, we wanna follow and we wanna have that boldness to do what you are calling us to do. So Lord, infill us with that supernatural boldness, that same boldness that the apostles had. And then Lord, give us an outlet to use it. Make an introduction. Put somebody in our path and then show us this is who you want us to share Jesus with. Because, Lord, we want all of you. We want every aspect of you. But more than that, we want people to come to the knowledge of you. So, Lord, we thank you for your power, for your love, and for your mercy given to us through your son, Jesus. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to lead into communion right now. Uh, at the crosses, we have self-serve. There's juice. There's crackers and bread. And if you're newer here, we just take the bread or the crackers and dip them in the juice. Up front here, we'll be serving you, and we've got wine up here. So if you want that, we'll be serving you up there. But let's do this just in celebration and just joyful remembrance of the fact that it's what Jesus did on the cross that allows all this to happen. And it's our very blessing to be used by him for his purposes. Amen? One last thing, we've got the prayer team in the back. And if you're struggling with anything prayer-wise or you just need help praying through this, they are in the back and they would love to do that with you. So feel free to move about. Let's take part of this first song anyway, just a few minutes. Let the Spirit speak to you. And when you're ready to respond, you can move about to communion. Jesus, won't you come and 
sing a couple more. If you guys need to be dismissed, you can, but we encourage you to stick around and worship with us. Prayer teams in the back, if you need prayer, I encourage you to get them. The Holy Spirit wants to do something here special tonight. Thank you for sticking around. Because I know your life came to fix my broken life and I'll sing to glorify holy name Jesus Christ sing it again cause I know your life came to fix my broken life Yeah.
Let your fire fall Let your rain pour down Just flood this place, Lord Flood this place, Lord, with your love We love you, Holy Spirit We feel you now, Lord We know you're here in our presence Just begin to lift up a song, your own song from your own heart Tell him you love him, tell him you need him right now We love you, Lord, we love you, Jesus We love you, Holy Spirit